Hi FM presents South African politics and news with the South African Institute of Race Relations. The IRR show, independent, relevant and real, is hosted by Sarah Gon every Tuesday morning from 9 to 10, promoting life, liberty and property rights. Good morning everybody and welcome to the politically fraught country that is South Africa. But Talking about fraught countries, um, you will have heard in the news, and I'm sure you will have read elsewhere, about the disastrous um, events in in Turkey and and Syria. It's probably almost unimaginable, because the the problem with Turkey is that it it literally lies on two two fault lines, uh, sort of one going north-south, or not quite, but sort of up and one going across. And if you have... One earthquake, as they did with the with the, with the, with the one fault, usually as it did, it sort of has a knock-on effect on the other fault. So the devastation. I mean, if you've seen some of the photographs, the devastation is uh, extraordinary, absolutely extraordinary. I think we, we're sort of in, already going up three, four thousand um, dead, and the weather is horrible. It's wet. It's cold, and of course, the damage makes it very difficult to for 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 rescue uh, crews to get to them and you know very quickly a whole lot of countries sent a, a variety of rescue operations uh, to to Turkey and and less so Syria uh, interestingly Israel of course was the one who one of the countries who immediately offered help they've offered help to Turkey and they've offered help to Syria despite the fact that they are in effect still in a war against Syria. And it'll be very interesting to see if politics in any way interferes with the, with Israel's ability to provide that, that assistance. And I mean, as we all know, you know, you always want Israeli, uh, disaster expertise on your side when there's a crisis. But, you know, people have apparently have spent decades being moved to live in areas one area after the other, because of the damage wrought by um, wrought by earthquakes, um, absolutely horrendous. And I guess it it, it uh, it's quite an interesting sort of sobering uh, lesson to learn, and that is that one that whatever the politics and economics and uh, machinations may happen in a country, particularly like Turkey, nature has a way of really reminding people that we actually do not always have control. It's not a climate change thing, uh, much as some may like to uh, say it is. It is a natural phenomenon. And, you know, a 7.8 Richter scale earthquake is absolutely devastating. So all one can do is hope that teams get to both countries as soon as possible and uh, help help rescue and help support as many people as as possible on a much lighter but it, but silly note um you will know about the 900 million rand that the uh, sa tourism wanted to spend on sponsorship of tottenham hotspurs as a way of uh, advertising south africa now we do not need to be advertised at the moment, in the sense that whatever we say and whatever we, whatever good news we give in the form of an expensive sponsorship to a European uh, football club, the country is in 
dire straits. And, and, and the rest of the world knows it. I mean, if you read everything from New York Times, uh, Wall Street Journal, etc., uh, and, um, the Economist, the reports on South Africa are, are correct, or by and large correct and dire. And, uh, you know, to, to sort of go onto a rah-rah ad campaign, uh, for the sake of sort of bringing tourism to South Africa. Uh, yeah, well, you know, uh, we always have a, a, a range of alternative ideas in the private sector and uh, Professor of Economics of economics and Finance and Strategy at the Gordon Institute of Business Science, uh, Adrian Saville, has suggested buying in bulk and paying, which would amount to paying $750 for a return ticket to London, which would bring in almost 80,000 tourists to South Africa. Now, I, I'm, I don't know if, if such a thing would work. Uh, or whether it's worth the spend, but certainly if you can get people here because it's it's financially very, very attractive to get here. And, of course, once they are here, it's financially very, very attractive because their currencies, euros, pounds, dollars, are just going to take them everywhere and anywhere, and luxury is at their fingertips. So perhaps there's something in it. Apparently Hong Kong um, ha- has adopted uh, – a, a similar plan, uh, proposing to hand out 500,000 air tickets to bring in visitors to the city as part of a global publicity campaign. Um, so I don't know. Maybe there's something. Maybe there's something in it. Um, on the other hand, uh, billionaire businessman Johan Rupert has said that the money would be better spent on proper safety and security for everyone if you want more tourists to come to South Africa. And, of course, we had the murder of the German tourists outside Numbi Gate in outside the Kruger Park very recently. Um, people keep being subject to crimes such as hijacking or robbery. They land in the country. They usually meet a, a fairly unpleasant, non-responsive uh, Passport control people And then they get their baggage Usually not a problem And then they may get a lift with a, Ostensibly with a travel, travel company Or a taxi And uh, then the world unravels And that, that I mean you can have all the advertising you want um, You can spend billions on it And this is nearly a billion But if you have those sorts of events happening uh, The feedback back Feedback at home is going to be, shall we say, um, understandably poor. I was looking at the uh, advert for the ESCOM, for the new proposed ESCOM CEO, and it requires, and it's probably the only position in ESCOM that requires a leader with unquestionable integrity and ethics and with a track record of turning around commercially and operationally challenging organizations. And I'm sure anyone who would fit that bill, uh, onerous as it is, would come from the private sector and would, in the interview for the job, would probably say, yes, we can, we can turn this around, big job, not, not short term. How about privatization? And the ideologically, Pravin Godan, Gwedi Mantashe, Suram Oposa are completely actually opposed to privatization, except that apparently Suram Oposa did agree, and I might have mentioned this, Suram Oposa did agree to, to having off the uh, transmission aspect of, of ESCOM and gave it to the private sector and told Pravin Gordon to get on with it. 
and nothing happened. Um, so any, anyway, uh, you know, good luck. I hope I'd be interested to see who applies for the job, if anyone, and if they do apply, who gets the job and whether they don't just get the job because they're the only person applying. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. Sorry, um, I'm just, Craig and I are conferring because we, we uh, arranged for a guest to be present, um, and he agreed to do so, but it, we had a concern that he actually w- would be unable to uh, join us, and at the moment that is what seems to have happened. So you've got me, and I'm going to look at a couple of issues, but one in particular that has just sort of um, is 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 is, is uh, kind of annoying me, and uh, it's probably the, one of the few times I'm I'm uh, going into the issue of relationships with Israel. And, you know, it starts with a standard South African rugby union being threatened by BDS uh, to to withdraw the uh, Israeli rugby team that was coming out here to to a competition. And and they were aggressive and nasty, as one can usually expect. And there were death threats issued. Um, Now, I think the problem with an organization like SARU is I can't find exactly who's on the board, um, just to get a sense of who they are. Um, That's often usually... very difficult problem finding, you know, doing a quick search for, for board members of anything. And they caved and they said they, they're cancelling the invitation. And the Jewish Board of Deputies, as I'm sure you all know, wrote a very strongly worded um, item press release condemning this, uh, this action and uh, suitably so. I suppose one can speculate, you know, they may be BDS sympathizers or uh, Palestinian sympathizers on the board. They may just be totally out of their depth on this, and the minute things got nasty, they just gut reaction, they cancelled. You know, it probably was not, if if, if there was no ill ill intent, it was probably a decision made by sports administrators who they get the threats, no one sits down calmly and says, well, let's talk to the other side and, and, and get a sense of it. Um, so I, I, I think I don't think one I don't know exactly what one reads into it from a from a, from a support ideological point of view. But the, what issue came to to mind was I was I watched a Middle East Forum webinar recently um, with Thomas Sandel, who uh, sorry I've actually just lost his organisation, but essentially his role is to encourage relations between the European Union, European countries, and Israel. And as as he says, you know, Europe was once both the center of, of Jewish civilization and the source of modern Zionism and the locale of the Holocaust and the largely hostile attitude towards Israelis, particularly, you know, after, after 1967. And it was quite interesting to hear because he said that the relationship between most of the European companies, countries sorry, and Israel is better than it has been for decades um, and largely because Israel um, commercially, industrially, um, technologically has something to offer European countries and 
it's it's you know it's it's not a it's not a it's not something for for Europe to turn down. So the 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 uh, I get the sense that the the from him that the the attitudes and the, and relationships are improving, um, and they fully understand what the issues are uh, in in Israel. In the West Bank and Gaza, um, they want to do business with Israel. They see Israel as a reliable partner. However, at the there is a blockage, and they hit the, the blockage is the point at which they say, "Well, we do un- we we have this great relationship with Israel. We do understand the situation, but we and I put it this way: we kind of feel that we must continue to give our support to." essentially uh, virtually unconditional support to the Palestinians. So what they seem to have been stuck in is a sort of archaic um, mindset that was sort of evolved after 1967 and hasn't really changed in the in the uh, uh, support in the support of, of of the Palestinians. But more than that, it's a I would call it the soft bigotry of low expectations. In other words, they are treating the Palestinians only as victims who need to be helped, who are, who are sort of the, the subordinate to every action that Israel may take, and they need to be sort of look, looked after or considered. Uh, I, I think what could we say? They, they have a condescending attitude to the fact that the Palestinians be seen as be, victims, be treated as victims, be given money. I mean, I know the U- European Union withheld money. In light of the, anti, the, the prolific anti-Semitism in, in Palestinian schools, and before they did anything, before the Palestinians says, "Okay, we'll do something about it," but before they did anything about it, the European Union eventually said, "Oh no, you know, let's give them the money." And of course, uh, the U- U.S. administration is giving more money than it is withholding against the uh, the, the Palestinians. And what sort of strikes me and has worried me is the. The Europeans know the situation. They, I think they still hold by the two-state solution, but, you know, based on, it's, it's, it's decades-based, uh, view. They surely must know that what, if there is to be a solution, a, neg- a negotiated or mediated solution to this, uh, conflict, it's not, it, it's not as is sort of commonly and unthinkingly often expressed as being, well, you know, if the Israelis withdraw from the occupied territories, all will be well. We all know that all will not be well if they just withdraw, despite the, you know, the, the, the realities of withdrawing to where. Um, but the fact is that these so- so-called victims and helpless, this helpless group of people need um, assistance in, when no pressure is put on them because they are a negotiating partner. They have uh, power, power. They have, they, they, they have something to give. In fact, the, the Israelis can do nothing by way of negotiation, negotiation or mediation unless the Palestinians respond in kind. And obviously, we know that part of that response is first and foremost the recognition of the Jewish state. Now, we all know that from what comes out of the uh, Arab media and from Abbas, from Hamas, that. They and I think genuinely, genuinely believe that they can have the state of Israel as as theirs, as part of the uh, as part of the Muslim state that they that, that they are looking to. 
and one doesn't get any impression, and I know they occasionally meet in, in Europe to talk about these issues and to find a way forward, but you, you don't find a way forward, and, and we'll see it happen with the Russia-Ukraine thing, that again, if there's any solution to be found by negotiation, even if one side is, is victorious, even if the Ukrainians are victorious, or even if they have a strong bargaining power with regard to what territory they will or will not concede to, to the Russians. At the end of the day, everything has to be a matter of give and take. I mean, that's how negotiations work. And the only way you get a party who, in, in the PA's situation, the only way you get a party to come to the negotiations and is, is pressure. It has to be pressure. That something has to be threatened, withdrawn, um, whatever it may be. You, the, the, they have to because, as I say, the the, the Palestinians are not um, a, a purely a, a, a victim party. They are a party that has things theoretically to give to to give to the negotiations. If the if sorry, Freudian slip. If 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 Israel is to agree to do anything, including a withdrawal from anywhere. And I can't, I don't get a sense that, I, and I obviously don't know the machinations behind what may be happening in, uh, in, in diplomatic circles, etc. But you don't get a sense as, as, as an observer that the European Union is doing anything that will change that dynamic. I mean, you've got 39 countries um, which, uh, worldwide who have, who have endorsed the International Holocaust Remembrance Alliance definition of anti-Semitism. But I almost get an impression that the move to anti... The, 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 that sort of move and the sort of commitment to fighting anti-Semitism is a bit of a fig leaf in that it represents a, a preparedness to recognize that Jews around the world uh, are under pressure. Uh, the old shibboleths are being trotted out left, right, and center over social media and, and more. Um, there are politicians in, in America and in, and in Europe who are very antagonistic to Israel. And it's all, I almost get the impression that the, the, uh, the signing up to this very important definition, important as it is, it doesn't amount to very much in terms of what actually happens between Israel and Palestine. It also doesn't really do much in terms of uh, what happens in, in Europe itself. Because what you tend to get, and I find this very frustrating, what you tend to get is you'll have an anti-Semitic incident. It may even be a murder. It may be an assault. It may be a destruction or defacing of a building. And at best, what you what you'll get is governmental press release from from the respective government saying uh, anti-Semitism is a terrible thing and we condemn what has been done and uh, you know, the, 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 the police and the authorities must find must do everything to find the perpetrators and bring them to book. Now that that is the common response and it is such a cliche because it it's almost it's like saying. You know, uh, ANC's destroyed ESCOM. Everyone's saying it, and it, it, if you say it enough, it, it has no no impact. And that, certainly in our context, has no impact anymore. And I think that's the problem with the way the European countries deal with it. It only really gets dealt with if it's not necessarily uh, an attack on Jews, but there is a serious attack by Islamists on 
on European property, on a European um, city or and that's my problem is that it's almost like the, all of this is a, is a sort of alternative to really getting to grips with the uh, with the issue and what uh, by not putting pressure on the Palestinians by not calling them out what they do guarantee is that whatever um, confrontation there is between Israel and Hamas or uh, Islam uh, Palestinian Islamic jihad or whoever it may be that Operates in a complete, in complete isolation. And what happens is that uh, the, the, the countries of the Union virtually say nothing. They let the media come in and mostly say things about, you know, Israel's at fault for doing this. And, uh, and Hamas becomes the, the, becomes, comes up second as, as, you know, and Hamas did that. But it's, it, that, that whole development of a worldwide condemnation of Israel amongst those who, who, Hate Israel and, and hate the Jews and, go, and get exposure on media and obviously on social media. There is never any intensity of response when, when something is egregiously faulty about a version of what Israel has done. I mean, they recently had called the, uh, the recent Israeli incursion into Janine, um, they called it a massacre and, and of course they lied about, um, civilians being, being targeted and being killed and essentially what it was as we all know is that the, uh, the Israelis were responding to the fact that, that uh, insurgents were holed up in Janine and, and either had committed uh, uh, attacks or were planning attacks and, and it was a military type it was a military operation and that's what they went into Janine for and the number they the numbers that were killed, uh, they were all um, insurgents, and they, the numbers quoted were small. And small, by, I mean, by uh, not to minimize um, death rates, but out came the accusation of a massacre. It, 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 it was not referred to in any uh, in, 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 in any terms, you know, uh, fighting terms or army terms. And they've done that before with Janine, as we well know. Um, I thought, was it the, uh, in the mid-90s? Uh, I just I just offhand forget. Where a almost um, totemic, um, it, it, it turned into a totemic event where the, the, um, Palestinian authority and their and their supporters and their allies declared Janine to have been a massacre where 40, 53 people died and again you got the kind of Israel is destroying our, our territory and it, it was the same sort of thing it was an incursion against militants who were in Janine and that was their base and it took years for the facts to come out that, of how it happened what happened and that the 53 people were, killed were all insurgents and some Israeli soldiers and it's that sort of thing that you really want to see the Europeans and the Americans say go, publicly say th these issues are not true this is not what is happening and uh, that that would change I think that would change the dynamic of being able to put some pressure on on the Palestinians to actually say you are a player you have responsibility if you don't want to negotiate, say so, but you've got to come to the table. Um, I don't know. I'm sure there are initiatives going on, but uh, damned if I know um, 
what they are. I don't, I don't, I don't have any sense of them. And uh, my sense is that as l- it doesn't matter how, ma- how good the relations are between Israel and European countries, and it doesn't matter how good the trade is and how beneficial it is to both sides, as long as this, these, these events are not realistically, truthfully, and, and uh, let's say aggressively responded to by the um, political class, uh, a, a problem. This problem just will not be solved because it allows the Islamists, it allows the BDSs of the world to carry on saying the most extraordinarily uh, appalling things. That uh, you know, if you were if you were saying things about individuals, sometimes they do say it about individuals. They'd be plainly and utterly uh, defamatory. So anyway, that's that's my sort of. Um, Annoyance for 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 the for the for the morning, um, and I'd, I'd like to take it up with someone who knows the way that European um, governments are thinking about things, and maybe perhaps the gentleman from uh, from who gave the talk on on the Middle East forum webinar, although you know, as, as often happens with people who have to deal with um, unfriend, possibly unfriendly uh, governments and, and entities he was fairly diplomatic um, and I would like to get someone who's not so diplomatic who can explain this to me so I welcome any suggestions that, that anyone, may, anyone may have because it seems to me that it's this allowance of the victims to be Aggressors, but only recognizes victims that ensures that this, this, um, conflict goes on and on and on and never, never ever gets resolved. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. We've had, there's lots of debate and discussion about the ANC's consideration of implementing or instituting a national state of disaster to deal with the ESCOM crisis. And aside from really a handful of people, the, uh, most of the comment has been very negative that, you know, you do not need a national state of disaster on ESCOM. You can deal with ESCOM within the parameters that exist currently. Business leaders in particular are concerned that uh, this would be opening the doors for corruption. That isn't amazing. That's the first thought, corruption. And that, uh, importantly, that as we saw with the, uh, with COVID, it risks disrupting the country's business environment, which would put off investors and stall development. Um, they had, they, they had proposed a state of uh, d- um, a state of disaster, but it would spring, support a ring-fenced state of disaster uh, to unlock the capabilities to deal with blockages in the system. There's only one problem. I don't think the ANC government has ever ring-fenced an amount of money, um, uh, in money going into or yeah, if it reinforces money, because that's essentially what you, you're looking for, is being able to quick and easily get some money that can only be used for uh, for the fixing ESCOM. And, of course, the problem, of course, is ESCOM is a big financial hole, but it's that's not all that the ESCOM crisis is about. Interesting to read uh, Business Leadership South Africa CEO Buzi Mavuso, um, She's she's very articulate. She thinks very clearly, and she was on the board and resigned a few a, a months ago. But she was re, she was on the board of ESCOM, and she came into the, the defence of uh, the CEO 
um, Andre de Reiter, and she, and she criticised the ANC for being responsible for the disaster. So um, I, I, I think a lady well worth taking note of. And she said that aside from the risks posed by a repeat of the COVID disaster, having a new state of disaster so soon after the last one ended creates an unstable and unpredictable economic environment. And she also says, which most investors would shy away from. And I quote her, she says, a state of disaster triggers emergency powers that can limit constitutional rights. The relevant legislation provides reasons to declare a state of disaster, particularly to assist and protect the public, provide relief, protect property, and prevent and combat corruption. But she point, her point about limiting constitutional rights is crucial because, as she says, under state of disaster, the executive can issue regulations that limit rights, supposedly only if they achieve the, state, the objectives of the state of disaster. But as we know from the last state of disaster, um, the rights that were removed from the, the public, and not, not just here, in, in many other places, but the rights that were removed from the public, um, some were egregiously unnecessary. And also what happens in the situation is that the, in, in, in relation to the issue um, in relation to the state of disaster, the executive runs everything and parliamentary legislative oversight, the legislature's oversight rather, is suspended pending, pending the state of disaster. And of course, I mean, we know the, you know, the limits of the legislature because it is majority ANC, but the legislature does act as, and, and should act as a, a, a sort of hold on the, the ambitions of the of the executive. Mavusa said that these are the direct consequences of suspending individuals and business freedoms, and that is crucial. I mean, the, I, th- I think the, the the problem is that we don't trust the ANC to run the state of disaster without interfering with our rights and freedoms. And the suspension of individual rights and business freedoms is crucial because we are in such an economically disastrous situation that the of preventing any any preventing any form of commercial act, commercial activity would be both disastrous for the country and disastrous for people businesses go in people are retrenched etc etc and let's be honest with the with the climate we're in um, the rate of businesses that have gone in the number of People and families, and essentially business acumen that has emigrated. It's really the question the, the ANC has to ask itself very genuinely, sincerely, whether it cannot resolve this without a, a state of disaster. The problem I foresee is that whether you have a state of disaster, but perhaps you need a state of disaster as a sort of political cover for doing things like calling in the private sector, um, um, ordering from overseas. As, you know, urgently and, and, and getting it urgently, getting the, the equipment and the, the bits and pieces that you need to make the repairs because ESCOM is also subject to the requirement of local content. The only problem is there's very little in our, in our power stations that relies on local content. Um, it, it has to be, it has to be imported. Um, so the, Maybe that's what they need is a kind of, look, we've got a state of disaster. Things are so bad, it's out of our hands. We can no longer operate purely on a state-run basis. Um, 
I don't know. Uh, you know, we've proved that uh, state-run entities, state-run econ- economics, is is not good for a country and not good for uh, for economies. Mavuso um, says that business depends, and this is crucial, on the predictable and fair application of the laws of the country, something which is at risk under state of disaster. Now, that's a, that's a very important part because businesses are by nature conservative entities, particularly if they're going to invest from outside, from within. And one of the reasons why South Africa has one of the reasons why its economy is in such dire straits and it has so little internal and external investment is because what the government will do and the laws they will, will impose and or, or, or sort of march all over on create an environment of instability and unpredictability and that is the, that is the thing that particularly outside investors will look at and say we're not in and you have the the, the problem of you've got expropriation without compensation which the ANC for electoral reasons is trumpeting as a, a way to uh, you know improve things of course it, it's not um they've got the the NHI, which affects it, relationships relating to medicine in every, in every single way. Um, you've got the, the Land Claims Court, which is likely to be a, a pretty dreadful entity. Uh, it has sweeping powers which go beyond the powers that um, judges in and courts in every other sector have. Um, and it goes on and on. There's the there's what we call the hate speech bill. Um, there's there's the requirement, the employment equity requirement on private business on the private business sector to increase their uh, black economic employment um, uh, uh, rates or, or or outlook, whatever the the thing may be. So, but you have these this, this raft of laws that are on the verge of being proclaimed, which underscore that instability because they're not none of those laws are laws that would business internally, externally would find positive or any benefit to them. And then there's the question of, well, there are a lot of laws and regulations that make business difficult. But very often business will tolerate those if they know that they're not going to, there's very little likelihood of change. And this is why you often see, you see businesses not coming into South Africa, but going into places like uh, the Democratic Republic of Congo and some of these real, you know, governance barely exists, laws barely exist, and partly for that reason, the gov- they see, the, oh, it's horrific, but there are things people want there and uh, lots of minerals and things that people want there, but they're stable. They're stable perhaps because for all the reasons that they should not be an attractive destination, but that's what we are fighting against. Hi FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. I want to, uh, to go through an interesting press release that my colleague Gabriel Krauser um, released yesterday, and Gabriel, you'll know well, he's been on on the uh, show frequently. He's, he, he has a, a sort of broad-ranging mandate, and uh, he really knows his stuff. And he's talking about Sona. I think Sona's due to happen this Thursday. State of the Nation address. Oh dear, yes. Um, and he he picked up some interesting sort of stats. Um, 
And he says that the state of the nation could be summed up in one fact from uh, the South African Reserve Bank, namely that South Africa has entered a negative phase in the business cycle. It entered it in December 2013, and it has remained there ever since, making this the longest downturn since records began. Uh, as he says, Silverman Rose is unlikely to mention this. Saab calculates that the down, the business, this particular phase is in its 110th month and that the previous longest downward phase, phase was 55 months, which was from eight, 1989 to 1993. So it's twice as long as that phase and that phase occurred really as apartheid and national party rule was, 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 was imploding. So it was at the worst that, that interregnum between the, the confident Nats and the new ANC, and we remember that. And interestingly, he says, until Ramaphosa's presidency, South Africa's longest business phase was a positive one. It began in the spring of 1999 and ended in 2007. In the 99-month upswing, that's that's that period, fiscal discipline reduced national debt from roughly 40% of GDP to 25%. Three million jobs were added to the economy, and productivity grew, grew by 3 to 5%, to, sorry, 3 to 5%. Inflation plummeted, and living standards genuinely improved for tens of millions through boosted consumption. So it, it, the market did everything it should be, and it there are millions of there's millions of things to criticise, but what Becky did get right was putting an emphasis on uh, on economic growth, and he had Trevor Manuel as his finance manager. And since that period, since what did it end, uh, 2013, it's been literally downhill all the way. Um, the Zuma, what, what he calls the Zuma Posa era, has halted the progress of the mid 2000s. It, where it did not, if it did not actually reverse it. it was, so we now have the highest unemployment record on the planet. <laughs> Productivity per, per person has not improved in nearly a decade. Government has almost, government debt has almost tripled as a portion of GDP. The cost of living is, is climbing faster than private sector wages, certainly not public sector wages. And real investment continues to wither. As he says, and, and, and this is, you know, almost like you can tick off the things Ramaphosa is going to say. He'll promise to improve, um, he'll promise to make an improvement, but uh, Gabriel thinks it's almost certain, and I agree, that he will, things will make matters worse. Um, he, re he talks about the Employment Equity Bill um, to set up more race quotas and on, at, on pain of experiencing uh, ruinous fines. So, all he says, and, and, and one can sort of kind of weep a bit about this, is that Ramaphosa has, to, has the power to halt South Africa's town downturn, but appears to lack the will. And I think it's both ideologically motivated, and so you have counterproductive policies, and he will do everything to keep the government – sorry, no, certainly not the government – his primary p p purpose of existence is to keep the ANC intact. And uh, that's going to be our problem. Thanks very much. Um, I hope that you will join me next week. And in the interim, you can find our 
articles on and our opinions on Daily Maverick. It's, oh, Daily Maverick. I'm, I'm punting the, 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 the enemy. No, sorry. They're not really the enemy. They're just different. Um, um, dailyfriend.co.za. That's dailyfriend.co.za.